I'm Nick Turzo, and you are listening to The Radical. This week's guest started a record label nearly four decades back that has become synonymous with metal music, playing an instrumental role in the launching of successful careers of acts such as Metallica, Slayer, Armored Saint, Corrosion of Conformity, and the Goo Goo Dolls. Metal Blade CEO Brian Slagle comes aboard to chat about the highs and the lows of starting a record company, remaining fiercely independent, and the extension of the Metal Blade brand to other endeavors. Coming up, my conversation with Brian Slagle. Hey, Brian, coming in hot from Las Vegas. Uh, how are you? It's good to see your face. I'm good. It's actually not as hot today. It's uh, it's normally 104 today. I think it's going to be 96 or something. So, Oh, that's quite moderate. Yeah. I have to wear a jacket today. Yeah. Are you guys getting any of that smoke from up north or not? Is that, does that, not, does that just blow east? No, it, it can be really bad here. Uh, it's not bad at the moment, but last week you could hardly see anything. It was really, really bad. You could, they told everybody, even if you could breathe, fine, to not even go outside or open a window. So it's, uh, it's not made summer very pleasant here. No, I can't imagine. So, so I'm excited to have this conversation as we kind of head into 2022, which is your 40th anniversary of Metal Blade Records. Um, and it's such an accomplishment that I can't wait to kind of dig into um, you know, what made the label what it is today? Uh, what is the label today? And, you know, where is the label going? And kind of your fierce independence at staying an independent label in a landscape where, you know, most people at some point sell out. Um, so I have so much respect for that. So um, I don't want to do a timeline per se. Um, so Metal Blade today um, Looks like you have about a hundred signed artists. Is that correct in scale? I don't think it's quite that many. Uh, it's getting up there, uh, you know, because obviously we have a, an office in Europe and, and the office here. So sometimes they'll sign a bunch of stuff over there that may not make sense here and kind of vice versa. But I, I want to say we're in the seventies for like actual signed, you know, current artists. Okay. The website needs an update then. So it- <laughs> it's yeah. overshot by 30. Well, what so. we do on the website is is we'll leave a bunch of stuff up there, even if it's, you know, bands that are kind of maybe not working at the moment or, you know, whatever. So, yeah, it's because it, right. artists sometimes get upset when you take them off of the artist page, even though they're not really active or current. Okay, that makes perfect sense. And uh, how many, like, what size is the label now as far as just staffing? What have you grown to? So we've got... Uh, I have to remember all this now. We've got about uh, 20, I think we've got about 20 people in North America, including Canada, one person in Canada. Then in Europe, we've got, uh, I believe it's up to 12 now in Europe, uh, two in the UK, and then the rest are all in, uh, in Germany, which is where our home base is. And then we have uh, a half a person in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'd, like, I'd like to meet that half person one day. That sounds interesting. So, um, And currently, of the hundred you have currently, who are like your biggest artists like in that hundred right now who are really making some noise? I mean, new or, uh, you know, older. Yeah, I guess the big ones are Killswitch Engage, Amata Marth, 
uh, Cannibal Corpse, Whitechapel, uh, Dragon Farm. I mean, there's there's a whole lot. I'll, I'll forget a million of them. But those are kind of the, the the bigger artists. You know, we've probably got about you know ten of these artists that are pretty big. Killswitch Engage and Alma and Marth probably being the two largest ones. But in terms of like breadth of catalog. You know, even though we have Amon Martha has a huge catalog, obviously, you know, Cannibal Corpse, uh, we have such a huge catalog. They all, they obviously do very well. And their new records do very well, too. Also, I'm forgetting Hank Armored Saint and Fate's Warning. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah, there is a lot of stuff. So um, as you reflect back, like, you know, coming up on 40 years, I mean, how do you look at this now? I mean, viewing in the rearview mirror a little bit, I mean, are you... Did you know this is where you were going to be? Did you ever feel you could be here, or was it all? Is this just a, a magic trick? Like, well, this is this is just the universe. Yeah, yeah I think the magic trick is probably the way to put it. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, none of us, certainly none of us, when we were starting, you know, all four years ago, would ever have thought that we would be still in the music business, whether you're talking about bands that started out at the same time or, or us. I mean, you know, we're just a bunch of kids that were just fans that were trying to do something to to help the music that we loved. We didn't think it was going to turn into like a lifelong uh, vocation, but it has it. I, I don't really, it's weird. I don't really think very much about this sort of stuff. Uh, obviously these anniversaries, you kind of have to do something because, you know, people bug you about it. But this one is kind of weird because I didn't really, like I said, I just, I, I'm not looking in the past as much as looking to the future or even, you know, what's, what's happening now. Um, so I don't really do a lot of that kind of, you know, retrospective. The only time I really did was when I wrote my first book, which was kind of the history of, of Metal Blade. And then you're forced to really go back and, and figure out uh, what all had happened. So you don't think much about it, but I've received a, a bunch of calls in the last, you know, because obviously with everything that's going on, you're, you haven't talked to a lot, a lot of people for a long time. So you have these infamous catch-up calls. Uh, and I've had a lot of people who, who are, um, whom I respect a lot and who are also, you know, uh, you know, fairly big players in the music business that have explained to me that this is a huge thing. This 40th anniversary for, you know, a label is a massive thing. And, uh, and that kind of like wet made me go, Oh, gee, I guess it kind of, I guess it sort of is. Um, so it's, it's cool. You know, it's, it's definitely cool. And we're, we I normally hate doing these anniversary things because they're just a gigantic pain. And, uh, but I'm actually looking forward to, to this one. We've got a lot of really cool stuff planned and, you know, we're obviously hopeful that 2022, we can be around more people and those sort of things too. So we'll see. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, when you make those announcements of what that entails, like in the new year, yeah, you know, we're, we're working on all of it now. Uh, the, the, the like party slash live portion of it is a little tricky because we just, I mean, we just don't know where things are going to be next year and at what point it's going to be better. So we've got a lot of things planned and I don't think we'll announce any of that stuff until, until we get a little further along the line to kind of see what's, what, what the story is. Um, but we've got um, a couple of really super cool things that I, I can't say yet, but one thing I was that I really wanted to do that kind of brings everything full circle, not to sound cryptic, but, um, and it was surprisingly really easy to put together, at least so far, knock on wood. Um, so we're gonna do that. And we also have uh, something that I did in my downtime here in Vegas during, you know, when everything was kind of shut down is I put together a metal blade museum. Uh, I had it actually in a, in a 
home here and, it was, and I found out it was too small and you know, people like Charlie Benandic from Anthrax, you know, put it on social media and people were freaking out about it. So we actually got like a real space here and we put a bunch of really cool stuff in it. And the plan was to launch it this year along with PsychoFest, which is this big festival here in Vegas. But alas, you know, things are what they are. So we haven't done it yet. So we're going to launch it in 2022 and that'll be a, a, probably a big part of uh, what we do next year to celebrate. Right. Is there a date I should mark on my calendar next year Zero <laughs> to be in eight. Vegas? It's too early to tell. <laughs> We're not sure. Hopefully sometime in 2022. That's all I know. Just try to get, get my cheap hotel year. rooms. Yeah, it's in the, yeah, it'll do the, the whole year. You should. So when you wrote the book, was that on an anniversary when you did that? Yeah, uh, I did it for the 35th anniversary because uh, we were trying to figure out what to do. We've kind of done, you know, everything. We've done box sets and we've done tours with all this stuff. Uh, a lot of people have kind of been bugging me to write a book about the history of the label. And I thought, well, let me do it now. It's a 35th anniversary. And while I still have some whips about me that I can remember some of these things. So, uh, so yeah, I ended up, uh, ended up doing it actually surprisingly. Uh, I, I thought it came out all right, but the response has been pretty great. So I'm doing a follow-up book now, which will probably also be coming out next year. It's just kind of more stories, more in-depth stories. A lot of people were asking about a lot of obscure bands and, other stuff that I didn't really talk about. So, uh, so there's more stuff like that's that. That's awesome. Well, having known you now for, um, you know, around 34 years, 33 years, um, you know, I'm kind of shocked when I go on Twitter and see you have almost 75,000 followers. Um, you do. <laughs> and what's interesting, what's interesting to me though, is that, you know, you started as a fan, obviously, you know, you tied, did the metal massacre compilations and, this is all based on fandom and your passion for the music, right? And, and building a community. And you, so you built this community, which, you know, everyone talks about social media doing that. I mean, you did that in the physical realm, really. Um, but now looking back, it's kind of like, well, social media does this all the time now. Um, but it's fascinating how easy, like, of a tra- not an easy transition. It's an interesting transition, though. Yeah, you know, social media for us on a, on a variety of levels has been incredible. I mean, it's, I don't think that we, as a label, would have the reach that we have to the fans and even the bands. You know, it's just it's direct contact with the fans. And instead of going through an intermediary like a magazine or a radio station or whatever, you know, we can have direct contact with the fans, keep them informed. And, you know, it's been a phenomenal platform. And, I, I mean, I think for us it's really helped our business 10, a hundredfold. I, I can't even say how, how much it's helped. But for me, it's funny because, you know, I, I got on Twitter uh, really, really early and a couple of friends of mine who, you know, music, music executives were like, what are you doing on Twitter? Don't, don't go on there. It's going to be a nightmare. And I got really, okay, well, I, I like Twitter, so I'm going to go on and, you know, between Twitter and Instagram and, you know, I, I'm on Facebook, all I kind of hate it, but uh, I'm just there. Cause I have these, I put these pages up, so I got to keep it going, I guess. But, um, it's been really great. I mean, I've in the, I don't know how many years I've been on Twitter for a long time, but I've really had hardly any negative interactions, knock on wood. Uh, you know, everybody's been really great uh, and it's really fun. And I've met a lot of really amazing people that I probably never would have met if it wasn't for, for those sort of mediums. So it, it's fun. I, I like doing it. And I'm um, same thing. I'm like, how 75,000 people following me. All right. Well, I mean, it's even crazier. Like the metal blade socials are just insane. The numbers are just again, astronomical, which is, uh, you know, thanks everybody out there for following us. That community is great. Well, I've been on since 2007 and I think I have 310 followers. So I'm obviously using Twitter to its maximum potential. <laughs> right. So, so what you think? 
so as you think about the label now, though, like from a business side of things, um, I mean, was there, look, I always felt the sense that you had a, not a hockey stick, but you had a steady business from the very beginning. I mean, was there ever like a point where it got to you? Like, look, this is a challenge now for me. It's getting too big. It's getting too, uh, you know, I've got to deal with finances now. It's not as fun anymore. I mean, was there ever a bridge you crossed or a kind of an inflection point where you were like, ah, this isn't working for me? Well, there, there's growing pains, obviously. And, you know, I, and I, you know, came into this with zero skills, really. I learned everything by making as many mistakes as humanly possible. But I did learn from making those mistakes. And that's the one thing I think is why people ask, why, how have you been able to survive all these years? I think because we learned, we learned from making mistakes and try not to make them again. Uh, also, we embrace whatever the new, the new technologies are instead of running away from them, even the file sharing stuff, we figured out a way to make it work for us and the artists. Um, and, you know, treating the artists really good. So, but it, it's certainly a business and it took a long time to learn. I don't know that there was a really tipping point where I thought, uh, oh my God, this is too much or too little. You know, I, I'm luckily, luckily surrounded by a lot of amazing people who, I mean, our staff is incredible and many of them have been there for, you know, over 30 years. So they've, you know, obviously helped tremendously uh, in, in making this thing work. But, but I will say, I think the one moment where I did think it was going to end was uh, in the late 80s when vinyl stopped being vinyl and CDs came in and replaced it basically. And and everybody was telling me, stop making vinyl, it's going to go away and the retailers gonna, are going to switch to CDs. And I was like, no, no, I grew up with vinyl. Vinyl's never going to die. So I didn't listen to anybody. And we kept making and, and sending out vinyl. And, the, and literally, it was in one week, all of the chain stores just decided in one week, okay, that's it, vinyl's out, we're shipping all of it back, and we're only going to do CDs. And so we got so many returns. And, and it, for people that don't know about the music business, it's, it, well, physically still mostly is a consignment business. So whatever you sell to the stores and they pay for it, if they don't sell it, they can send it back to you to get credits. So at that point, I owed, I don't know, $150,000, $200,000 to our distributor because we're in, so in debt. And, you know, they, you know, they were trying to help me as much as they could, they could, but they really, you know, it was not much you can really do. So I had to finance the company on credit cards for about six months until we can get back on our feet. But that was the only time where I really thought this might be it or it's too much or whatever. But somehow we persevered. You know, it's like anything else you, the cliches, you know, you hit a big roll, you know, you fall off a horse, you get back on all those sort of things kind of, kind of do actually make sense. Yeah. Cause I, I'd always felt like having a friendship with you, you know, I never really felt that stress from you about that, you know, and it's interesting with, you know, having known, you know, Jonathan and Bruce from Sub Pop, you know, for a while and trying to help them out with like a distribution arrangement back in the day, you know, the stress they felt, you know what I mean? They got in some real dire, you know, early 90-ish situations um, that were a little clearer. Um, and I never got that sense from you. You were a, a stoic or you figured it out. I didn't, I didn't well, ever get that sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, I don't know. It's weird. Like I always, I mean, look, there's a lot of stress. There, there still is a lot of stress. Uh, you know, you just, there's stuff that happens and, you know, not everything's going to go the way you want it to go, obviously. But we somehow we were able to, to get, I always felt that we would be able to get through it. Like the nineties, obviously people talk about from metal, not being a great decade and it was kind of underground, but, but for us, a couple of things happened. Number one, the underground 
was still very big. Like we had bands like Cannibal Corpse, Six Feet Under, King Diamond, Merciful Fate, uh, all were selling like, you know, a couple hundred thousand independent records, which was a lot of records back then. Uh, by the way, all those bands, well, King Diamond and Merciful Fate, I failed to mention earlier, some of our bigger bands too. <laughs> Bad on me. Um, so we, we kind of survived and, you know, we also pivoted, like I mentioned before, you know, we, as you well know, we did a lot of marketing promotion for, you know, Alice in Chains, of course, uh, uh, Guns N' Roses, uh, Soundgarden, The Love Bone, you know, all these, all these, you know, really great new grunge artists that I loved that, Faith No More, that um, needed some underground help. And, you know, we were like, hey, we can do that. And these metal radio station stuff are transitioning to playing this stuff. It, I mean, to me, it all sounded like metal anyway. It just was a little bit different image. Um, so, we, you know, we were able to pivot a little bit and, and we survived through that. But it, it, certainly the 90s were pretty stressing. There, were, I remember, like, there were a lot of people that, even metal people that were saying that metal might be over. I'll never forget um, uh, Rock Hard magazine, which is one of the biggest magazines in, in Ger- metal magazines in Germany and still is. They had an owl, uh, They had a cover of their, I think it's either 96 or 97, that had a tombstone on it and said, heavy metal, born 1969, died 1996. And we're all like, oh, that's not a good sign. But I always felt that, that it would come back around again. And, and you know, we've clearly seen that it has. Right. Did you run into the same kind of valley of death, um, you know, as the transition happened to streaming? Or did you guys embrace it so much that you didn't feel... Um, it was going to negatively affect your business. Well, we're kind of funny, uh, not just us at Metal Blade, but the, the metal community in general. Like we, we, you know, we kind of, so for example, when Apple first came out, you know, for downloads, uh, we didn't do a deal with Apple for a while because they weren't paying the independents what they paid the majors. And I was very much like, pay me the same you're paying the majors and then we'll do a deal. And eventually that happened. And it was the same thing with, the streaming services where I, I understood and liked the platform, but I also was very afraid because I had friends who had small labels who, when the streaming first came out and they would put all their stuff up streaming, almost put them out of business because their physical, their physical stuff, which was making them money kind of completely fell apart and they weren't paying the same thing. They weren't, you know, Spotify was not paying what other people were paying. So I was interestingly on a panel at, uh, at South by Southwest when all this was first starting. And they recruited me to be the lone label guy. I was like the pop guy from Spotify, RDO, you know, a couple of these other big streaming services at the time. And, and I was there. I was presenting my side of the story about, you know, what I had heard and how, you know, I understand what you're doing. But, you know, I, you also have to understand that if you're paying this little to especially small independent labels, these artists can't survive. So what I found interesting is after, and it was a very spirited discussion. There was a lot of people in the room. Um, but afterwards it was, you know, the, the Spotify guys, a couple other people kind of, you know, took me and not, didn't really corner me, but they wanted to talk to me because they said, look, we don't want to take away from what you're doing. We want to help you and, and give you another avenue, another revenue stream and not take away. So I felt that they really did have at heart what they wanted to do. And, I, and of course, they said, that's great, but pay me what you're paying the majors and, and I'm in. So we eventually got to that route. And once we got there, I could see, I mean, look, this I, from a business point of view, and, I, and I've been very staunch with explaining to the bands that this is going to make you a lot of money because a lot of the bands are like, you know, we hate it. We're not going to pay any money. I said, just be patient. 
you watch. And there's a couple of things that I explained to the bands. Number one is this is a constant revenue stream. Like when you sell a CD or an album, you sell it, you get your royalty and that's all you're ever going to get off that record. Well, on the streaming services, every time somebody plays a song, you're getting paid. I mean, it's not a huge amount of money, but you add it up at the end of the day. And now it's so huge because what a great concept for $10 a month. I can ha- listen to any song I've ever wanted to hear pretty much anywhere I want to listen to, which as a, as a fan, I love it. I mean, I still have all my you know, vinyl and CDs and stuff, but I love the streaming because of the convenience of it. And now we're to the point where, um, no, we're giving bands, you know, six figure checks for, you know, streaming stuff. So it's finally come around full, full bore. And for us, it's been, it's been another one of those things that really has helped us continue to thrive because now, again, you're not manufacturing as much product because obviously as a label, we have to manufacture all this stuff. So we're spending all that money. So we're spending less on that. It's clear there's no money to spend really on the streaming other than marketing promotion. So it's kind of helped the business on a cash flow basis too, where our cash flow is much better now as well. Yeah, that's what well, was prescient of you to understand the value because you know the market for catalogs today wouldn't be what they were if this kind of innovation hadn't happened to it. I mean, it really turned it into its own. I hate to use the word about music, but its own asset class. Mm-hmm. Um, which, so you were, you were definitely right about that. Um, was there ever, look, you've had like a wide variety of artists. I mean, you've had some comedians sign like Jim Brewer and, you know, early on our friends, the Goo Goo Dolls. Um, was there ever a point like just artistically or curation wise where you kind of felt like, eh, we're reaching too far, let's stay in our lane? Or was every one of those explorations valuable in their own way? You know, I have a wide variety of, taste so i like it's all heavy music uh but i i like you know i like anything from you know mother feather to cannibal corpse i like all of it and i never wanted to to limit what we do at the label like if it's something that we think is cool then we're gonna do it i don't really care who it is you know like this band mother feather that we had you know i love them and they're like a 70s rock band basically with all these like bowie alice cooper with two female singers and it's definitely not something that we'd normally do but we all love the band and we all thought they were great it's like well let's just do it so never really thought that you know we've had bands like king's x that are you know a little bit different i i like that i like to have the roster be be a lot different i don't want to have just you know 100 black dahlia murders you know it's which is very easy to do but i don't want to do that i want to have a wide variety of stuff because it just I'm still running this like I did when I was 23 years old. I'm just signing bands that I like. And, you know, same thing with the staff, you know, they'll find stuff that they like. And, you know, it's like, Hey, if we like this, we'll do it. It doesn't really have to pigeonhole any specific genre. And I think that's another reason that's helped us over all these years is we never were just the death metal label or the black metal label or whatever. It's like, we kind of have a bit of everything. Absolutely. What was your, like, what was the thing that really kind of put you in a financial situation where you knew you were going to go on? Like, which artists kind of set you up like that? Um, You know, it's weird. It's been a slow burn. It's not like there's been like one lighted moment where I go, oh my gosh, this was amazing. Obviously in the early days, you know, having the Slayer stuff was great because, you know, we were a tiny little independent label and, you know, a lot of bands were getting big at that point. We had 26 different artists that ended up graduating major labels in the eighties, which is crazy. Sadly, most of them didn't do as well as we hoped they did, but you know, that was, that certainly helped. And then, you know, obviously the Google dolls, you know, having gold and platinum records in the nineties was a big help for us. Cause it, it certainly also helped us, you know, just 
survive and navigate the whole, you know, kind of 90s stuff. But yeah, I don't, there's never been a, it's, it's not like we've had a year where it went from zero to a hundred or whatever. It's like every year is kind of good. And, you know, there's some years better than others, but it's been a pretty slow, steady climb. It hasn't been any sort of real, you know, huge bumps, which is, I think is good because that, you know, you can, I've seen it happen to so many labels where, you know, somebody has a couple of huge records and they have all this money and all of a sudden they change the way they do business, which may not be the smartest thing to do. Right which I think I may have felt a couple times. I think I may have worked at one of them. It will go unnamed, but um, it's funny. Do you have any, um, who most disappointed you? Like, was there an artist you signed or a couple that you said, this is, these guys are so dang good and it just never connected with the community or commercially? You know, not too many, you know, th those sort of things are more like some bands that probably if I mentioned them, you know, nobody would, unless you're a super hardcore metal guy, you wouldn't know because there are bands that I thought had a lot of potential, but for whatever reason, they just, they just broke up way too early. But like people ask me all the time, it's kind of part of what I talk about in the second book is, you know, what happened to this band? What happened to that band? And, you know, nine times out of 10, it's just, you know, young kids, they put out a couple good records and now there's that decision process. Do we try to be a band and make the effort to do that? Or do we do what our, you know, parents say, go to college or our girlfriends say, don't go on the road or boyfriends or whatever. So, you know, that's kind of what, what happened there. The one band though, the one kind of thing that I, that people, when people ask me this question, I go back to is Armored Saint. I always felt from day one that they were going to be one of the biggest metal bands of all time. And it just never really happened for them at, at that level. Uh, and we put out a record, Symbol Salvation, that came out in 1991. That's, you know, one probably a really important record to me because it was their guitar player. It, it, it's a big, long story, but, you know, they had got dropped from Chrysalis and their guitar player passed away from leukemia. And the band was kind of done. But they had made these amazing demos. And I felt we can't let this music die. It's too good. So we kind of recruited the band to get back together. We got Dave Jordan, who did Alice in Chains. I mean, yeah, Alice in Chains and Chains Addiction to produce the record. And Hugh Prime, who managed Metallica, and everybody else came on. And we kind of put together this really great team and put out a, what I thought was a phenomenal record that I thought this was going to be a gold record. And this band's going to be huge. It just didn't happen because it came out in 1991. I think if it would have came out in 1989, it would have been huge. But by 1991, everybody was like, no, we're not into this metal stuff anymore. So that's the only one kind of thing that's really frustrating to me. But that being said, the band's had a great career. They're, they're putting out amazing music now. They're, they're doing tours, they're having fun. They're, they're making some money in addition to everything else. So it kind of turned out the way it was supposed to for them. So, you know, who knows what would happen if they would have been big back then, you know, it's all fine. It's all fine. John Bush is a good, he's a good guy. So he deserves whatever comes their way. So. Great guy and one of the best metal singers of all time. Yep, absolutely. So what are some of the lessons like as an entrepreneur that you can share, especially, you know, kind of running a label, creating a label? Um, are there lessons that you could actually, uh, I'm sure you wrote a book, so I'm sure there were lessons in the book. So, but I'd like to have you share some of those kind of now with me. Sure, I think there's a couple things. If you're like me, uh, and you're, you know, starting a label and you, I mean, look, I never intended to start a label, but about a year and a half in, I figured like, well, I guess I have a label now. So I need to learn, you know, how to do things, how, how to account, how to do books, how to do all this sort of stuff. 
Um, so I'm always learning. I'm always trying to learn. And I think that's really, really important for anybody that's running, especially an, an, an independent business. You just need to learn. You just need to learn. Like, for example, I've read uh, a bunch of psychology books because when you're dealing with artists and stuff, everybody has a wide variety of how they think and why they think. And, and before it would really frustrate me, like, why, is, why are these people doing this? And then I finally figure out why they were doing it. It's like, okay, now I understand the behavior. Maybe I can help um, you know, with that sort of thing. So that's it. Employees are the same way. You know, you've got to, you've got to deal with a lot of people. So I always learn. And I think the key to running any successful business is you have to love it. If you don't get up in the morning and are excited about the day, or, I mean, look, not every day is going to be great. That's hundred percent, but you really have to love it. Cause if you really do love what you're doing, then you're doing it for the love of what you're doing and the love for yourself doing it. And that's really important because you're just not into it. I've seen that happen too, where people just have businesses that not even music businesses, but other businesses they start and, you know, they, they love it and they're into it, but they just get burned out or, you know, whatever happens and it kind of fizzles out. So you've got to love it. You've got to somehow make it fresh for you to do. And you just have to learn, you know, I think the biggest thing about running any sort of a business, it didn't really even matter whether it's a music business or, you know, any other businesses, you, know, you just have to learn, you just have to learn what's new, what's different, what's happening in your genre or your, you know, whether it's, whether you're a plumber, you know, what's the new things happening there. All these, you know, all these new technologies and things are really, really important. I think if you're, if you're going to be successful running an independent business, you've got to do all, all that sort of stuff. And you have to have the time to, to make it happen too. Yeah, curiosity is probably still very important to propel a business forward, right? Oh yeah, and it's so. you know the music business is is interesting because there's so many new things that, that happen. Like there's new you know these new audio formats that are coming out now, and there's always something new and exciting, which I, I, I find really interesting. Uh, and you know we're always looking for what's the next thing, and even social media wise, like okay, so now there's Snapchat, so we need to do a Snapchat, and now there's TikTok, so we need to do a TikTok. And, you know, all these different things that are there and we have to, it's it, learning how to use them. I mean, I'm still learning how to use, you know, TikTok and Snapchat. I'm not great at it, but it's kind of fun. And, you know, I don't have that many followers yet, but, uh, but it's fun. You know, we'll see. It'll keep you young for sure. So, <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. So I've, speaking of trends and kind of like having to learn new things and follow new paths, what are trends are you seeing like today with like younger metal bands? I mean, are you seeing a, a large interest again in it as a, you know, has interest ever really waned? Is it? No, you know, it's, it's, I think the genre as a whole is really, really strong. It, it, we're kind of in that realm, certainly not where the nineties were, but we're, we're not mainstream really as, as much anymore. Uh, and it's really, really difficult to get bands to that next level of everything. What's, Who's the next big band, you know? And I think that we're not going to see a band really emerge until maybe you still have Iron Maiden and you still have Metallica and you still have all these bands playing at a high level, you know, selling out arenas and stadiums and stuff. It's, it's difficult for bands to follow them in that same path. But once those bands go away in a few years, I mean, I hope they never go away, but you never know. Uh, I think you'll see, you know, these bands that are kind of trending upward just get bigger and bigger. And we've seen that with a band like Ghost, for example, that's, able to sell out arenas now. And for us, Amata Marth is selling out arenas in Europe and, you know, Lamb of God. I mean, there's a whole bunch of metal bands. They're, they're, the, they're the, even though they've been around for a while, they're the next ones. And you see them all trending up. You see these tours get bigger and bigger and bigger and more people are going to all these shows. Festivals in Europe are bigger than they've ever been. So I think this, the, the scene of the genres is very, very healthy. The one issue that we have is that we don't have that one mechanism that 
everybody goes to, to, to see what's going on. We don't have headbangers ball. We don't have MySpace. You know, you don't have any of these things where everybody goes to say, what's the new cool thing. You know, you've got all these playlists on you know, Spotify and Apple music and wherever, and that's great, but there's millions of them. So it's really difficult to, to cut through all that noise and all that stuff out there. I mean, it literally is taking us 10 to 15 years to really kind of break a band into that, you know, kind of next level, which is kind of crazy, but that's Holy just cow. It Dude, it's like a biopharma company. It's taking you that long. Yeah, it's right. crazy. No, that's a big investment. I mean, just like they have to do. I mean, that's kind of insane. And I was thinking, you know, with the on-ramp of like touring, right. And, and, you know, COVID did whatever it's done the last couple of years now, but even prior to COVID with the lack of clubs and clubs closing and gentrification all over the place, how are these next, I mean, touring and live is so important to this genre. Like how are these young bands going to even find venues, you know, to build an audience? Yeah, they do. They do exist. And, and certainly social media is helpful because you can, you can build something even without touring through social media, but there's enough venues out there. I mean, we, we see, it's really interesting to see what's happening. This makes me very excited too. We're seeing a, prolifer a proliferation of record stores. There's new record stores opening all the time, which is great for us because we, so, I mean, that's really what got us through the pandemic because we sold so much physical product. It was insane. And we would have sold more if we could have manufactured it, but vinyl manufacturing is always pretty yeah. tough. Uh, and you're also seeing, you know, small clubs open up. I mean, just, for example, here in Vegas, there's, let me think, one, two, three, four, four brand new live music venues under a thousand people that are coming online in the next few months. And so it's like, this is just, a, this is just Vegas. We're talking about, you're seeing that all over the place. And I do have to give credit to, to both live nation and AEG who've really, you know, they're, you know, trying to run all these venues, but they're very, very sympathetic to us. And we work with both of them and they, they you know, they sponsor tours and, you know, they keep a lot of these venues going, which, you know, and you can argue whether that's a good or bad thing. Uh, but for, for us, as long as any venue is there and they're having our bands play there, it's good for us. So all, all that stuff has worked out. So I, I don't think on the live music front, we were worried a lot about some of these venues going away because of COVID. But, you know, a couple of things, you know, the Save Our Stages Act and, you know, the government actually came in and probably saved maybe 100 clubs that probably would have gone gone under. Um, and same thing over in Europe. But then again, the, the places where clubs have gone under, there seems to be a line of people that now want to purchase them and, and continue having them continue to go on. Well, that's promising, man. It's not as dire as I Knock thought. Knock on wood. Yeah, it, it looked yeah. kind of crazy for a while, but I've been pretty happy the last couple of months. You know, now the bands are going back out on the tour, on the road again, uh, seeing that, you know, all these clubs are still, for the most part, there. Yeah, well, I sense in that answer, the only regret you may have had is not buying a vinyl pressing plant through the years. Yeah, you know, we want to, if anybody's out there that has one, we want to partner with you and uh, buy you a machine or something. Because we can't, you know, we, we talked about doing our own plan at one point, but that's a pretty big undertaking. And I, I don't know that we could really financially make it work, but a lot of the smaller labels have partnered with, you know, very, because there's all new machines coming on all the time. And, you know, we're very, we're actually looking into that now, trying to find a, a partner that, like an independent or, you know, somebody small that could do stuff like that and say, Hey, we'd like to invest in you. Yeah. Cause there's some people actually working on the concept of more environmentally friendly 
final pressing, right? I mean, yeah. To, yeah. I, I don't know if that's present today yet or not. It's getting so. there, but there's a lot of companies now that are that are making, you know, you can buy a, a decent vinyl making machine for, I don't know, like $120,000 or something, which is not a horrific price to, to get. Uh, of course, you have to have people run it and all these other stuff. And, you know, now with these new technologies for lacquers, that's, that's easier to run now. And so it's getting there. It's certainly getting there. And I'm hopeful that I can't see this slowing down anytime soon. People keep saying it's the final market's going to die out eventually, but they've been saying that for 10 years and it just it gets bigger and bigger. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I hope not. And do the mastering guys still know how to like make a lacquer? I mean, did they, has that been lost with the younger guys or did the mastering no. guys really know how to work with it? Yeah. They, so. It's a different technology now because you're going, you're, it's more of a digital thing. So, but it, there's a certain trick to it, but even the old school guys are still really good. I mean, I've, there's been a couple of records where I've, you know, the one thing I'm pretty involved in is, you know, making of these records, especially just how they sound. And just, you know, I, I don't say what, how they have to, but I will give my opinion for sure. There's a couple of records lately where, I mean, Ooh, I don't know. It doesn't quite sound right. And then a mastering engineer gets a hold of them. Like, Oh yeah, it sounds great. Funny. That is funny. Well, I, I have to say as a game man, my only concern about trends is that, you need to bring back a, a lot more shirtless uh, metal bands. <laughs> I think there's been, think that trend going away from that's a problem. Yeah, so right. in the summertime, they're there. <laughs> so I want to be on record. Right. So, uh, so up next, you have like, is the museum there a store too, or is it just a museum? I mean, are you selling anything? We're not selling it. We're only selling uh, books and t-shirts there, but we do actually have uh, this really cool little, it's not really a store necessarily, but it, it is a store. Uh, we, we, uh, so there's a place called the antique mall of America here in, in Las Vegas. And one of my friends, when I first moved out here said, you should check it out. They have a lot of cool stuff. There. I'm like, oh, okay. So I ended up going in there and walking around and going, oh, look, this place is amazing. There's a couple of record stores in there. Basically you just you can put all your stuff in a booth, set it all up. Then, you know, people take the stuff out and they pay for it at the front counter. There's only one way in, one way out. And it's pretty inexpensive. It's like having a store, but with all the overheads. We have two booths over there where we have vinyl, CDs, collectibles, shirts, you know, you name it. Uh, so it's kind of, it's like having a store, but not having a store. And it's five minutes from the strip on Las Vegas Boulevard. So it's pretty easy, easy to get to it. We've been doing really well with it there. Uh, part of it was also, we have, we moved all of our warehouse stuff from, from California to, to Nevada because it's way cheaper. And just going through, so there's just all this cool stuff we have. It's like it just kind of sucks of just sitting in these warehouses. So number one, that's kind of where the museum came about, and number two, that's kind of where the store came about. So we have all this cool stuff, all this collectible. Let's have it available for so you know people can buy it, as opposed to just sitting collecting dust somewhere. That's awesome. You got your own, your own like amusement park soon. Yeah, right. Um, we're, we're, we're being in Vegas. It's fun because we're, we're you know we're, we're partnering with all these people around here. Like we're now we're doing uh, we're doing a bunch of branding things, which we never really did before because we always felt that 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 should be a band thing more or less. But now all the bands are doing it. We're like, well, wait a minute. Maybe we should. We have a brand. Maybe we should make a couple of dollars doing this. So a, a friend of mine actually here in Vegas that I knew for a while ended up. Uh, I had no idea because he was working in the nightclub industry and he. He was like one of the producers on that uh, Dr. 90210 show, plastic surgeon thing, but he did all the branding for this guy. And I was like, really? Well, would you want to do that for Metal Blade? He's like, sure. So now we've got all these things rolling out. We have a beer that we launched during Psycho Fest. We've got a hot sauce. We've got a coffee. We, you know, all these sort of things will be Metal Blade branded stuff. So, so that'll all be around. And we you know, are partying with a bunch of restaurants, you know, here in Vegas and other parts of the country. We're going to have, you know, Metal Blade 
things on a menu because a lot of these chefs are all metalheads. So it's kind of fun doing that sort of thing too. So I'm a little bit different and, uh, you know, but all, all part of the branding thing. Brand extensions are fun. Yeah. So, and you're, you deserve that after 40 years to have some of that going on. Might so. as well. Um, so what's up uh, next musically? I thought I read something where Slayer's kind of reissuing their early works with you guys. Is that true? Yeah. So we uh, obviously, very unfortunately, Slayer is not uh, touring or making new music anymore, which is kind of a bummer. So, so yeah, we, we you know we partnered with them and you know kind of re you know re re re, re what's the word what's the best word redid their deal I guess or something so we could really get active and do a lot of uh, reissues and stuff which we haven't really been able to do for a long period of time. So. Uh, so yeah, we were putting out a ton of reissues. We just announced it today, actually. So if you go to metalblade.com or our socials or something, you'll see all the stuff there. But all we're reissuing all four albums that we did with them: Hellawaits, Show No Mercy, Live and Dead, and Haunting the Chapel, vinyl, CDs, all sorts of stuff, upgraded packaging, different colored variants, all sorts of crazy stuff. So yeah, it's it's super fun. That's exciting. So cool. And so you also, I mean, aside from author, um, you know, entrepreneur, whatever other crazy hockey fan, whatever other accolades I can send you, um, you have a show on Gimme Radio, too, that you do, like a little bit of a metal show there? Yeah, so during the, you know, during the whole, you know, pandemic and stuff, I, I, I did a couple of things. I was doing a lot of, uh, just mainly to see my friends, because I couldn't see anybody. So I had a bunch of friends and bands and stuff on, you know, these Instagram stories and Facebook stories and, you know, Gimme Radio, which is, uh, I, I've been a huge fan of, of what they're doing for a long time. It's kind of a, a mixture of a radio station and Spotify. It's kind of puts it all together and they're really good people. And uh, I think the format is really, really interesting and cool. So they've been bugging me to do a show there forever. I just never had time because I always wanted to, but I never really had time. Well, guess what? Now I have time. So uh, so yeah, yeah. For about a year, I do it once a month, and I just pick, you know, two hours worth of music to play, and there's a chat that goes along with it, which is kind of fun. So I, I, I try to do the live chat every month. I, you know, I can't do it every month, but I'm there almost all the time. There are a lot of really great people there, and it's uh, it's super fun. So yeah, it's something I've been doing for about a year and a half. And now, as things get busier, I have to carve out the time a little bit more. But it, it's fun, so I can. It's and it doesn't take that much time to do it. So. Right. And the new Metallica podcast for Black, the Black Album, right, is out right now. And I mean, were you a, uh, I understand you were a guest on that. Yeah, I am so far in episode one, uh, which obviously talks about the early days. Uh, I think there's eight episodes. So I'm not sure how many I will be involved in, but I'm definitely in, in the first one. And you know, it's always super fun to do stuff with those guys. They've been incredibly great about everything with us over, over the years. In fact, we're doing something with them uh, in relation to the 40th anniversary, it's not a show or anything, but it's something really cool that, that, that they actually had some interesting ideas for. So that'll be fun. Uh, yeah. It's all, always, always cool to do stuff with them. They're, they're still my friends after all these years. And obviously they've had, a, they've had a kind of an okay career. Yeah. It turned out. Okay. They did. All right. Yeah. I think it turned out. Okay. So, so let me ask you, you know, when your profile kind of raised a little bit and there's, you know, as you said, there's like this metalhead community, whether it's chefs or, whoever athletes i mean who have you been like most kind of surprised by that's kind of reached out to you through the years that had an interest in the music and your label well so there's a couple of those things so i'm a huge sports fan so you know big hockey fan as you know and you know just all sorts of sports so 
I've been lucky enough to meet a whole bunch of, you know, NHL players. I did a podcast with uh, Sean Rourke who runs NHL.com for about three and a half years where we, we talked to hockey players and celebrities about their love of music and going and check Sean's idea. And I thought, yeah, but can, are we going to be able to get these guys to talk for more than 15 minutes? Cause athlete interviews are boring, but you start talking to music with these guys, a whole different story. It was amazing. So it was, really fun. I met a lot of really great people through that, you know, a lot of hockey players. And, you know, one of my really good friends is a guy named Mike McKenna, who, you know, played in the NHL for like 12 years. Now he's an, he was an analyst for the Golden Knights. Now he's moving on to a different one, but he's a good guy. But you, you just, you meet all these people that you just kind of go like, wow, that's really crazy. Like I've become friends with Todd English out here. He's like, you know, one of the big celebrity chefs and, you know, he's a, a bit of a, he's a bit of a metal head and, uh, you know, Jason Momoa and, uh, uh, you know, there's just so many people you, you meet that you, you wouldn't think uh, are big metalheads, but they are. And then you meet them, they're really nice, and they actually know what they're talking about, which is kind of crazy. Paul Malone, that's another guy. Like, I was at... He's from upstate New York, where I'm from and Failey's from, right? So, of course he yeah, is. Yeah, right? So, so he, yeah. Uh, he was at uh, Slash Play, the, some, I showed the whiskey that I was lucky to go to when I was with... Uh, Susie Cole, who runs the metal division of Apple Music, and Nurgle, the singer from Behemoth, who we were there, and Post Malone was there. And I'm like, oh, okay. And Susie knew him and said, oh, you, you guys got to meet Post. He's a huge fan. He's a huge fan of Behemoth, too. I'm like, really? All right. So we met him, you know, briefly, but super nice guy. And he was at the Slayer shows. and Just kind of kind of crazy. You know, John Varvatos, another guy's a big metalhead that I've hung out with a few times. Just You know, these guys that are just, you know, they're iconic people. You, you don't realize, you know, like, wow, really? They're in the metal. Wow. They know who I am. That's bizarre. It's <laughs> awesome. Well, you've earned your reputation, my friend, you've been at this, you know, you've plowed the fields, so to speak. And so, yeah, you, you never know um, who's listening out there. That's the one thing I've learned of all these years. It's like, wow, that's pretty crazy. Well, that's why I thought I'd try to do a podcast too. You know, it's like, you know what, I have some experience as an ANR guy. Maybe it'd be interesting to, share these stories and talk about creativity. So. 100%. So cool. Well, listen, thank you for doing this. Happy 40th in advance. Thank you. I'm looking forward to more, another 40 years from Metal Blade <laughs> Records. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I know. I know it sounds frightening, but I don't put it past you. But uh, thank you and huge respect to what you've kind of built over 40 years. It's really impressive. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. This was fun as always. And good to see you. Glad you're doing well as well. So all good. Stay healthy. And I hope to get my invites to Vegas for whatever these events are in 2022. Yes, 100%. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This show originates from the podcast capital, Austin, Texas. My producer is Sean O'Neill. Visit theradicalpod.com for updates and even some merchandise. Also, please subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I also ask that you please share episodes with your friends so we can continue to grow our community. See you all again next Friday.